At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to end of the week edition of the pod. I want to do a little bit of self-plug for the pod with Ben Taylor yesterday talking about some of the underrated and overrated players in history. He's just, I thought he was incredible. I hadn't really talked much to him before, but really enjoyed my conversation with him. I know some people might maybe skip that over because you haven't heard of him and you're more used to our usual thing, but I really recommend that interview a lot. Um, he brings a unique perspective and he's also really entertaining, well-spoken also. Uh, but today we have to get into our point guard rankings probably will prove the most controversial there's probably the most depth at this position in terms of star players uh, of any in the nba so uh, danny just first off why don't you just say what our methodology is here in ranking these guys the primary focus here is if you could have this player for the rest of this season and i tried to not think about as much of specific injuries unless it is an injury that will persist you know like throughout something like that so like john wall being hurt right now isn't as much of a thing yeah. as more as I, I thought of it a little differently or is, actually. I, okay. I did uh if an nba a full nba season were starting right now oh that's a good way okay that's a better way of phrasing it who, who would you who would you rather have and yeah so like the nagging injuries don't include as much if it's something major or something we think we might have an effect in the guy's career going forward over the whatever the next full season he plays is then i uh i definitely will in- include that and that means that this is different fundamentally from like a prospect pod where it's where will this guy be you know who do you want for the next three to five years who will be good is very very different so for example rookie point guards generally do not fare well for me on this list because most of them do not provide much value there is one exception yeah. to that and i will talk about that guy and doesn't really matter for guys you know on the back end of his career it the only the way that matters more is if you think that's dispositive in terms of whether this is a good or bad year and one basic criteria for me which is different at point guard than any other position in the league because of its responsibilities is this idea of if you had this player theoretically with like reasonable surrounding talent so not necessarily any dominant players but also none of those true just absolute dead zones how good of an offense would you expect to have because if you don't have that shot creation ball handling from this spot you are going to need it somewhere else and that exists other places but it's a lot harder to find and so that was valuable to me and especially if not only are you not a great offensive player but then you also can't hit shots off the ball as well and i think especially for point guards i i think that the further you go in the height along the height spectrum the more important defense becomes so definitely you know if a guy has a neutral rpm and he's great on defense but not very good on offense i would and another guy is great on offense not very good on defense in terms of rpm i would certainly lean toward the guy who skews more towards offense at this particular position and that gets more sorry and that gets more relevant at certain 
certain points in the conversation. It is weird that there aren't as many real defensively dominant point guards around the league right now, partially because yeah. some of the better defensive players have just aged out of that. John Wall is a, is a big example of this. We'll talk about that later. But you have those differentiation points, and in certain cases, that comes up. Anything else you think we need to need to get through? No, who's your number one? Steph Curry. Not a lot of drama there. The idea of what can this player do for his offense is such a ludicrously strong thing for Steph. I think when I did my awards stuff, so that was March 1st, the Warriors had like a 120 offensive rating when he's on the floor. And you go, oh yeah, well, he played with Kevin Durant. But for those who watched the Warriors when Curry was out with that first, the more severe of the ankle sprains, they were a completely different team. They still had three all-stars and their offense totally changed. Curry has that value. He did before Durant was there. He, he, you know, if Durant left, he would have it afterwards. And that is fundamentally different for me. Like he is in a tier by himself because he has proven that at a different degree. And, you know, I've, I've been a big Chris Paul advocate for a long time. He will be very high on my list, but he is not at that level for me right now. Yeah. The gravity that Curry has is just ridiculous. The effect that he has in transition in particular, he's so good at running the floor. He's so good at moving off the ball. He's really the, as the most gravity of any player in the NBA and he never stops moving. Uh, I think defensively one-on-one, he certainly has some, his limitations, but uh, as a help defender in terms of just being smart, executing the system defensively, I think he's one of the better guys just at those particular aspects of defense. Good hands as well. Does tend to foul a little bit, which is a problem, but especially when when you consider number one, the metrics this year, he's number two in the entire league in offensive RPM, 7.08. And for reference, the only guy higher in offensive RPM is James Harden this year. He is third in the NBA overall in RPM and no other player outside of Harden uh, has an offensive RPM within 1.7 of his. So that that captures, I think that especially as you get to the extremes that RPM is more useful than when it's kind of in the middle. You know, if you're differentiating between, you know, guys who are number 30 and 60 in the league with RPM, you know, I don't think it means as much as it does at the top. And then his box score sets are awesome as well. He's outstanding in PR, all the blocks, box plus minus stuff. And if anything, you know, his great gravity to me, uh, those box score sets understate what he's doing. He has the highest true shooting percentage of his career. He's in the high 60s right well, now. And, th- and that's what I wanted uh, What I wanted to mention. Yeah. He's shooting 60% almost on twos this year, which is a career high for him and a ridiculous he's, number he's for a player. 58% on mid-range twos. Yeah, and highest free throw attempt rate of his career. And when you make free throws at the rate he does, that means a lot. That's how he's having the best, uh, the best true shooting percentage season of his career, despite not having that same just absolute molten, you know, he's 42% on threes this year as opposed to 44 and 45 during his MVP years. Yeah, and he seems to be trending up uh, still there uh, as well. Uh, has been a little bit more injury prone this year, but uh, j- just no less durable overall the last few years than some of the guys uh, around him. The one question I have about his game is against switches, is he still going to be able to beat guys one-on-one to create uh, at the end of games, which we saw from him in his two MVP years? Didn't see quite as much, but he may not even need to do that. And even if he can't do it at quite as high of a rate any longer then we may still see that he is the best point guard here uh so i had him and it's here by himself was that the case for you as well it was so i'll give the guys in my next tier and i'll say them in order right now but i will say that this was just absolutely splitting hairs very very difficult to form any kind of a difference between these guys but i went with in order there are four gentlemen in my next tier chris paul number two overall point guard damian lillard russell westbrook and kyrie irving i have the same four guys in a different order. Chris
Chris Paul, Kyrie, Lillard, and then Westbrook. And I actually had Lillard over Kyrie until I got a, a good note that somebody had asked me who was better between those two guys, kind of not necessarily. I don't even know if they knew we were doing this podcast. But what I said was, I, I think Lillard is the better player, but I'd rather have Kyrie in the playoffs. And they said, well, then you'd rather have Kyrie. And I said, that's a good point because Kyrie's one-on-one scoring, Dame has been fabulous, but what he has proven in the playoffs against great defense, I mean, the, he has Klay Thompson on him a lot in those in those three NBA finals. Klay Thompson is one of the best one-on-one defenders on point guards in the entire league. That has intense value with LeBron or without LeBron. So that's why I ended up putting Kyrie over Lillard. But yeah, between these four guys, I have Chris Paul a slight bit ahead of these guys. It used to be a lot more, mostly because a lot of these guys rose and he's fallen a little bit, but it was brutal between all four. Paul, I thought I had the best argument for ranking him ahead of the other guys, uh, but as the oldest, uh, there's more of a chance that he could fall off it. And my reasoning with Paul, he's not the one-on-one score that these guys have been, although he's added that more to his game uh, it, with Houston, where teams are just switching him uh, on pick and roll. I mean, he's unguardable in that Houston system with conventional pick and roll defense. So he's getting switched a lot. He's having to go to the ISO game more. Adding the deep three-point game this season as well has been huge for him. He's just as efficient as he's ever been. He is actually number three overall in the NBA in RPM. And But the biggest differentiator to me, and we've seen this in Houston system, watching a lot of Houston lately, I've started to get more clarity on this, of how good their switching defense actually is. And we've seen they shut down the Bucks and the Thunder pretty well in these two back-to-back games that they both won pretty comfortably. And Paul is a huge part of that because of all these guys, I mean, you would have to go down to maybe like an Eric Bledsoe to find someone I think who's as good of a switch defender as Paul is. And Bledsoe, I have him in the early teens uh, because Paul is just strong and he competes and he's not willing to let himself get posted up. And that's just so key. I mean, eventually sometimes they'll have to double if he's really got a tough mismatch and the guy gets deep but he makes it difficult enough that like the guy has to take a couple of dribbles he has to really back down and then the help can come there and so his ability to play in a switching system and hold up in the post in addition to being a a solid one-on-one defender out in the perimeter still as well that to me is just makes enough of a difference especially if we're talking about really the best of the best in the playoff crucible that's why i have him just a little bit above the rest of these guys and then uh the reason i westbrook clearly has been much less inefficient than the rest of the or much less efficient than the rest of these guys this year but i think also despite some of his defensive issues the fact that he also can switch and hold up one-on-one against most players i think it is important in the playoffs you know i would still have him above irving defensively even lillard is a guy who's a little bit better than irving defensively and i think that we've seen now with switching becoming so much more important in today's nba that having one weak link defensively can end up really hurting you that's just almost more of a prediction um but again i I, like if you want to put Kyrie Irving number two if you wanted to put Lillard number two if you wanted to put Westbrook number two more just because of his history and the athleticism that he brings to the table I wouldn't argue too vociferously with you that's also the reason why I originally had my next two guys who I won't name yet because we'll go through this whole tier in this tier and then what I realized is the whole point of a tier was that you could argue the guys in any order and when I got to those two I'm like oh like I couldn't put them over Chris Paul so they're not in the same tier then and I thought for a hot second about putting Chris Paul to tier by himself but no I I think the separation where I drew it was fine and with Westbrook something that really weighed against him a little bit and it's not I mean he's still a wonderful player for me is I think he has less offensive role versatility than a lot of these other players so Chris Paul this year is playing on and off ball more than he has at a lot of moments in his career he did have some with Blake 
Griffin, though a lot of Blake's time with the ball in his hands was when Chris Paul was not on the floor. Kyrie has that experience playing with LeBron. With Westbrook, he makes every team Westbrooky to a point, and that is a positive in most circumstances, but there are some where if you had another guy who's capable of the ball in his hands, he's not a great shooter, he's very confident in his shot, and also I think his tendencies for just taking bad shots sometimes like deep shots if they're open that aren't really the right shot for their offense that you can play him you can kind of exploit him differently than some of these other guys and you're right about the defensive part of it but for me that that idea that okay in a playoff series there are things you can do to use his strengths against him is not as true for the other players as it is for us all right much more to get here to here also got some news coming at the end of today as well but for this from a new sponsor sonos i've got some Sonos up and running in my house. I'd always really wanted one. My my buddy has a, a bunch of nodes in his house, and so I really wanted to get it because we listen to a lot of podcasts. We listen to a lot of music when you're doing the dishes, when you're you know in various rooms in your house, if you're taking a shower. And Bluetooth is just such a bad technology, and you have to like turn on the Bluetooth speaker, and then you wait like 30 minutes for it to recognize, or 30 seconds for it to recognize, and then sometimes it doesn't work, or it'll only do phone audio but it won't do regular audio it's really bluetooth is, is a pretty miserable technology sonos actually works through the wi-fi in your home it's much more reliable it comes on immediately you can select different rooms via the sonos app you can play directly from the spotify app uh, as well and generally I, I could be pretty handy but it's kind of when i'm setting stuff up and, and sonos is really easy to do but they have this service called up and running that will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free so they came over i watched what they were doing it wasn't really that difficult but if you're not really technically inclined or you just don't really have the time they're able to just come over and set it up and they even optimize the sonos speakers for the room if you have a phone it'll play these series of pulses and you bring it around the room and it'll listen for the pulses and, and optimize the sound for each room it's really an awesome system now i've got their play bar set up under the tv i've got i bought some mounting hardware to put it right under my wall mounted tv there's a sub in the living room as well and it's revolutionized the sound when we're listening to games, when we're watching movies, whatever it is. And the way to get started with Sonos is Sonos.com. You can get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com. you got to use my promo code. This is a little different than the normal one, CAPSPACE10. Easy to remember there, though, because you're getting 10% off. That's why it's CAPSPACE10, CAPSPACE10 at Sonos.com. Enter that CAPSPACE10 code and let them know that you came from us so my next tier tier three had three players guys if you're trying to think about it just in the conception you know i, I think of that second tier as really guys that we are probably playing at a superstar level tier three is an all-star solid player maybe not the kind of guy you'd look at as potentially being the best on a championship team and it's not surprising that these are some of the best guys on eastern conference teams that have generally been mid-tier uh with the raptors a little higher so it's john wall i had him at six kyle lowry at seven and Kemba Walker at eight but all those guys really I think have some severe flaws I shouldn't say severe but obvious flaws that keep them out of that top group Kemba this year has has really come on I actually had him the highest my only difference is I actually have John Wall not last in this group I actually moved him to the next group and I'll explain why but Kemba is really I think he's come on this year and Charlotte has been so bad when he's been off the floor that they're not competing for the playoffs but his 
his you overall know, play. Actually, I checked that and recently. It, that is normalized to, to a degree. I'll check actually, it again. Walker, Walker is only, I, I, when I went on with uh, Haverstrow and, and Jade and those guys today, uh, it's still a significant difference, but they're only like negative 3.5 with him off and like plus 3.6 with him on. Okay. Oh, with the getting getting deeper in the big man front court probably really helped them, even though that's not technically Kemba really yeah. be it with getting Zeller and Kaminsky and those guys playing together. Because they, they did have a couple big runs like that one against the Pistons. But I think Kemba did get lost in the shuffle a little bit just because overall for the team this year, they that's been a part of why they weren't as good. But offensively, he's still capable. 567 true shooting isn't great, but not bad. And his, his assist rate's fine. Like it, it's, it, it's there. And then defensively, he's capable. Not not a standout, but not a deficient, deficient player either. And the reason why I had John Wall in the tier below is if this if we were basing it on last year, John Wall would absolutely be above these guys. I think last year John Wall would have been at least on the fringe of the of the tier above. That's how that's how good he was last year. But I worry with his history of issues with especially with his knees that last year was more the aberration than this year even though you could argue that oh at full strength, you know, that he was playing limited. So I'm just conservative with that because last year was by far his best. That maybe more what he was in 2015-16 is where the baseline expectation should be for Wall, though he can over or underperform that in a given season. Yeah, in 15-16, the thought was, oh, well, he's been injured this year, uh, so that's the outlier. But now this is another year of these injuries, and the hope is maybe that uh, this latest surgery will cause him to not suffer any problems anymore, but usually that's kind of not how it goes as, as you get into your late 20s. The fact is he's out right now, but if we're starting a season, you don't know how well he's going to recover, and he has not played at the same type of level this year. 51% true shooting, 30% usage. Now, people wonder like, oh, wait a minute, like Russell Westbrook, he's right about the same type of level, but he has even higher usage. But Westbrook was at a, a much higher level and really just had a very weird first couple months of the season. And since then, he's been right around a similar level where he's been. And so with Wall, the recurring knee injuries only played 37 games so far this season. And his defense, as you alluded to, his rebounding has really fallen off, uh, perhaps in part to, due to the injuries. So uh, major concerns there with him. I mean, I had him still at the top of this tier because i think at his best he's the best of these guys and lowry you know he's just on on the downside right now i mean he was a top 10 player in the nba based on the on-off metrics the last couple of years but he's fallen off of that level now only eighth among point guards in rpm and i should say seventh because they list james harden as as a point guard but also just has not been the same kind of force uh, defensively uh, uh, and well i would say uh, offensively too well yeah yeah uh, creating shots he was really down to 22 percent use he's not just the main engine of an offense the way you know you could have said a year or two ago early on i would have expected if he had said at this point oh the raptors are going to be a a really strong offensive team my assumption would have been oh kyle lowry played at that level and they didn't know they've been using DeRozan more as a creator they've also had spectacular bench production on both ends of the floor and so lowry is a he is a part of a strong machine but he's not as important a part as before and this is and they're closing games they're closing games with van vliet who's Mm -hmm. taking on some more of the playmaking as well sure and Lowry's this is his age 31 season so the expectation would be that he's post prime that doesn't you know you can you can be pretty close to the level you were at before it doesn't have to be a steep drop up though it often can be and his defense has also to me been worse and so you have those things running together where it's like okay he can step down yeah. and I think he can do it gracefully but I would expect as of now that, that this is the highest he will be the strongest position he will be on my list if we keep doing this going forward yeah and by the way I misspoke he's a uh, seventh in, in offensive rpm he's actually fifth in overall because
because his defense still ends up looking pretty good so you had then john wall at the start of your next tier is that correct correct yeah so my next group is and this is where i i draw the lines where you know the ranking is still somewhat important but it's getting a little bit more fluid here we talked about how that was hard in tier two john wall drew holiday goran dragic mike conley assuming reasonable health for mike conley you know there's still the risk of injury but you know that he comes back and eric bledsoe and those guys all have very different arcs to their careers i mean drew holiday was had some strong times in philly that led to new orleans trading for him but then all the battles with his leg with his leg issues conley has been spectacular a lot of the time when he's been healthy but dealing with these the achilles issues bledsoe you know he's going through all that so yeah i guess there are injury issues for all of them but when they rose when they fell and holiday being as high as he was was a little bit surprising to me but he's had a really good year in a way that i think is repeatable for him moving forward yeah and he also has the the size defensively uh, for me i was i did not i think the one difference we had was i had wall in the tier above this uh i had number nine was mike conley 10 was holiday 11 was eric bledsoe and then i cut it off i know you had Dragic in this tier but check out his stats this year they're actually like not very good uh and i think you know in his early 30s he's on the downside i think defensively he's really gotten attacked at times this year watching what houston did to him for example late in that game uh when they won it in miami it was one of those and i think i had conley at number nine uh if he weren't injured this year and he weren't getting older i probably would have had him up in the same tier as kemba walker and lowry but with that continuing achilles issue getting older he's not going to play at all this year you have to build in probably some regression due to the age and injury so that's why i moved him down a little bit uh and then holiday and bledsoe you know neither of them are amazing scores i think i, I liked holiday a little better than bledsoe due to his uh, superior shooting ability both of those guys really get into the ball defensively they've for point guards they're solid switch guys uh, also um so i i think that they're clearly above someone like Dragic, who doesn't have that two-way ability and has also been markedly less efficient than either of those two guys this year and he's older than both of them so he's more on the downside if we're talking about another year still going forward out of right now that's why i had him slightly lower though i had him near the top of that next year and and, and he's uh was was not a uh, a legitimate all-star selection to me unfortunately although he's had other years where i think he's been a lot better and a lot closer to that the reason i had him in here is is mostly because of his passing i just think if you have the surrounding talent that balanced out in this case that he can create good shots for other people and you're right that the defense is a, is a negative for him but i just i just trust him more in that in that realm and it is also there's a parallel here with john wall in that Dragic was better last year than he was this year but this year is pretty in line with what he did two years ago so it's not yeah i, I don't why is Dragic considered some great passer i just think like when i when i wa- average yeah well i i have i don't i don't love any of these passes. guys really as pat i mean wall when he when he's okay. on it obviously i i've just never really with bledsoe he has some spectacular i mean that one he threw from the baseline uh that was about a week ago was one of the best passes i've seen all year but i don't see bledsoe creating those kind of quality looks for teammates as often as i see it with yeah. Dragic, and that could also totally be sample bias it absolutely could be i acknowledge that no but- bledsoe is not as good of a pass Dragic. I, I i would agree with that i mean bledsoe bledsoe we just watching a lot of bucks in the past couple of weeks he's missed a, a lot of passes i agree with you there but i think he does enough more and Dragic, you know the argument for him used to be his efficiency but only 53 percent true shooting this year is a big drop off for him and the other arrow in your quiver there if you wanted to is that it is a big drop off for him from last year but it's not a big drop off for him from two years ago so you could say well that's just who he is now and that he had a you know he had a bounce because yeah. he hit a couple more threes and, and that sort of thing can happen and it, it certainly did last year i think he hit last year was 40 yeah, percent like 40 yeah he was 40 percent threes last year which 
which you did not expect to, to, to continue. continue. Um, yeah. Well, so so I guess I, I stopped doing just like the very discrete rankings now at this point, as we've done with some of the other positions. But I did create a, another tier, and I guess a, a okay. So I I had one yeah. more tier, so okay. I can explain it, okay. and I think I think it's a it's a good clarifying mechanism for me. So I called these guys the in betweeners, and so the logic of it was players who are not pretty clearly not as good as everybody else, and that's part of the reason why I included Dragic in that group was because I felt more comfortable with him there than in this one and then we're above another group which are the guys that are starters that i'm not enthusiastic about so that's dennis schroeder and reggie jackson kind of guys more in that realm and so i just created this group where i pretty clearly felt like they weren't in one and they weren't in the other and so i called them the in-betweeners and so for me that group was darren collison jamal murray Jeff Teague and Ricky Rubio and then there's a sub tier of it which I called the lost seasons where it's Donovan Mitchell and the lost seasons where it's Mitchell Beverly Isaiah Thomas and George Hill where those well, guys I thought Mitchell Mitchell is uh we rent him in shooting guards already didn't we oh oh yeah that's right I will I put him in here just for my own thought exercise because we did yeah. that one in like November so I'm like okay here's where he'd be we don't have to talk about it much that's where I'd have him call that a little bonus uh but so that's really how I saw it and so for me Collison Murray Teague and Rubio in particular they have separated themselves out I've been very impressed with Collison this year. I've been very critical of him as somebody very familiar with with his career as a UCLA guy. We were in college together. I just never thought he could create very well for other people. And his defensive talent was didn't really manifest in the NBA as everybody got so much bigger and stronger. But he has been essential for the boy for the Pacers offense, even though he's not Victor Oladipo. Yeah, I thought about putting him in kind of my next year. My next year was just sort of like, all right, you know, solid, solid starter type of, uh, of players where you're not like, oh man, we need an upgrade here at this position if we really want to compete but you know are not necessarily killing you either and that's even reductive i mean because some of the guys i have in there are very very different players uh but i i call us in a little bit below you know in the low teens just because i i think defensively still is not great and while he's very efficient and deserves a ton of credit for the shooter that he's become i think his usage is below 20 percent. and when your usage is below 20 percent as a point guard it's hard to just put you into the the same type of category and then he's also coming off of this knee injury he's 30 already so looking at him going forward that was kind of the tiebreaker for you i actually had him higher up early on but then i i moved him down and you know he's never been a darling of the on off type of metrics to my recollection either uh so that's uh having toiled with the kings for a while it's not like you know the kings were doing awesome when he was on the floor though they have many other issues um but so the, my next group was six here so this would basically be 12 through 17 uh dragic was near the top of that list for me jeff teague spencer dinwiddie i think has really emerged this year and yeah this is his first year playing at this level although he's pretty good at the end of last year too but i'm not really sure like what else he needs to do at this point to get to be considered a solid starting point guard uh, all the on off metrics he's been very very effective this year he's ninth in uh offensive rpm so far uh he shoots threes deep threes he's basically for a lot of the year been the only guy they have that can run pick and roll he faces a lot of switches he's actually able to create against that he gets to the basket he's got more burst he's got good size solid shooter and, and you know defensively i i haven't been wad by him but i don't I, I haven't been like oh this guy's awful and, and he's got good size so i, I think he's right in the, in the mixer did you you did not have dinwiddie quite this high i take it i did not and one of the big differences this might just be because he's taking more shots even per possession than in the past but his free throw attempt rate has really gone down and he had a crazy year from three last year shot 38 percent this year he's at 33 and 
And I think he's more of a 33-34 shooter. And so if he is that level, and you should say his free throw attempt, you could say his free throw attempt rate should be higher because there are some of these calls that he absolutely should get. That was a part of Chris Herring's piece. I I do like Dinwiddie, but I'm generally, and people have criticized me slash us for this in the past, I'm conservative when a guy comes up as quickly as he has. Just, okay, I want to I want to see a little bit more. And I'll give you the credit once I feel that it's, that it's locked in there. Like with Drew Holiday, I mean, I was, he had to prove it for me for a little bit longer to get there. So he, yeah, I have him a little bit down from here, but if he can do it, I, I'd say it's more even the beginning of next year rather than the end of this year because the Nets don't really have any stakes right now. So it's, it might be unfair to him. I, I am open with that, but that's the way that I approach it is I just need to see more than I think most people do to put somebody in an elevated plane. Yeah, that's understandable. I think it's a lot of this is just based on watching him and the burst that he showed and how comfortable he's looked. Oh, he's been far better this year, offense. to be to be sure. And also with his size, Dinwiddie's defensive versatility is very intriguing. So if you wanted to react to the rest of what I had there with uh, Teague, Dragic, Isaiah Thomas is uh, going to be very controversial here, very difficult to rank. And then Jamal Murray and Ricky Rubio are, are the others that I had in that tier, which is basically from about 12 through 17. It's not too different from my own. Jamal Murray is benefiting for the first time in any of our rankings from us doing one later in the year because when we've done the prospects rankings he started both of his seasons slowly compared to the rest of it and we would do the top 10 young players then and so he's been good the rest of this year i mean not incredible but good enough to certainly qualify in this group jeff teague well, uh, is let, let me sometimes talk, frustrated. Talk about murray for a second here uh sure. murray is 13th in offensive rpm his defense is certainly a problem especially when he's playing with the, some of the bigs that denver is bringing out there specifically Jokic. uh but uh, i think he at least has shown the ability to impact his team positively on the offensive end which we haven't seen from a lot of, of these young point guards yet um and i think he at least tries defensively he he at least tries to execute the system even if one-on-one he, he's really bad so the biggest reason i had him higher in this group is i just think as an offensive player and then also if you're just projecting going forward another year here as well as a younger guy uh i think that he would be more likely to take so, some steps forward uh we've been higher on him than a lot but i, I mean it's not we're very high on dennis smith and uh i have a feeling he's uh i can't even see him in the rankings right now from where we are at this point uh but i think for murray just to, to be a guy who can shoot the ball off the dribble um i think that he could be a better passer than he's shown because he hasn't had the ball in his hands at as much there's a lot of other guys uh, who need to eat on the perimeter there and then you know they run so much through Jokic, he's playing more off the ball but he's shown the ability to do that so i i think if you were to put him into another situation really have him running pick and roll all the time he might be more effective potentially uh, as a passer but that i certainly understand why to rank him lower especially because of his defense and just because young point guards generally aren't that good did you have as much trouble with patrick beverly and isaiah thomas as i did thomas in particular because i mean if we did this rank these rankings at this time last year he would have had an argument for being right in that same tier with lillard paul irving uh and and westbrook Uh, i mean he had one of the great offensive seasons that we've seen last year uh but obviously that's not the case any longer he's still coming back from this hip injury looks a little better with the lakers but the explosion still doesn't appear to be there he gets into the lane doesn't know what to do with it it doesn't have the explosion to finish the way he's used to it turns it over a lot he still gets to the foul line plenty but he's going to become very reliant on his jump shooting and then defensively i've maintained that he's not as bad as everyone else thinks he is uh because he'll at least like try to get over screens a little bit uh but you know certainly a guy who can be taken advantage of uh in isolation and as a help defender is is powerless due to his height so those are all concerns i put him 
him in this tier just because I think he can make an improvement uh, from where he's been so far to get to at least a level where he can start for a team and provide some decent offense and shooting. But you know that could well end up not being okay. uh, is really difficult to say. But I, I tried my best to not be skewed by what he was last year because I I have a fear that that player is gone. He has shot better with the Lakers. That better shooting from three is thirty two percent, which is still not nearly what it needs to be. And the burst, as you said, has been a, it's been concerning as well. So I think he will look healthier in six months than he does right now, and that will make a substantial yeah. difference for yeah. him. If you're ranking him on but, what he did this year, he would be like you know ninety oh, seventh. <laughs> I, I think I said he was one of the most destructive. I think we both have said this. That he was one of the most destructive players in the league when he was playing for Cleveland. I mean, just because he was taking a lot of shots and he wasn't making them, and he was wasn't creating the looks for himself or others, but. I still see a lot of talent in him. He's still a, a very talented passer, especially. I think that's something you can use, but you need the burst and you need the threat of the jump shot to make that actually sing and actually work. And the uncertainty with him can reduce a little bit this season, but the fact that he's going into free agency this year is so complicated because I wouldn't be looking at this thinking, oh, it, it is a down year, but I wouldn't be thinking of it going, it's a down year off of what last year was. You, Where are you calibrating off this? Are you calibrating off 15, 16, 14, 15? Or is this just a new equilibrium for him? Yeah, and I, I fear it may be the latter. I mean, in a nod to what he was before to some degree, and just the fact that he can't continue to be this bad, you would hope. Uh, I ranked him here, but it wouldn't shock me if we look back on this in a year and he's just like, you know, almost like out of the league type of level, just backup point guard, score off the bench, hope that he gets hot that day type of level. One guy we both had in this level and we haven't really talked about enough is Ricky Rubio, a player who has been divisive his entire career, including his pre-NBA career. He was divisive and I haven't seen as much just anecdotally defensively as early in his career when he was, I, I think he was underappreciated, especially those mid-years in Minnesota defensively, partially because they had some weaknesses on the front court, which sabotaged them. But his shooting has been better this year, especially recently. It's been a big part of Utah's run. And his ability to mesh with Mitchell, I think, has does, does create a little bit more value because originally, early in his career, you would say, well, that's never going to work because while he's a spectacular passer, he can't really provide much value off ball. I think he's been better this year than I anticipated. And he's been solid defensively at bare minimum. Yeah, so much depends uh, on whether the jump shots fall whether he's feeling comfortable getting in the room I, mean, I think he is a quality passer his defense uh, continues to be underrated I, I would put him among starting point guards in the upper echelon defensively and I think he's just he's proven this year in Utah that he can be part of a winning situation a solid point guard who's it's just because he has such severe strengths and weaknesses you know it's just it, it's kind of hard to deal with uh, and I would certainly understand the argument for having him a little bit lower but I think just the fact that he doesn't make too many mistakes other than and turnovers on occasion that he always plays hard you know i mean he's not like he's not the kind of player who's on a bad team you know it seems like and while from an rpm standpoint he hasn't been as high as he has been when he was in minnesota you know he just he makes enough winning plays that i think he deserves to be you know kind of in the lower end of this tier but especially if you're talking about as a playoff player if you're talking about a guy whose weaknesses can be exploited i would certainly understand having him lower as well and it was i found it was interesting really the most 
difficult rankings for me were you know guys in this kind of 15 to 30 range because there's really there's a lot of reasons to like and dislike guys in this range and zeroing in on what's really important it can be difficult the two guys that i think had the most baggage for me are schroeder and reggie jackson because they have been starters i mean now for for a little while now since schroeder since teague left when he was traded incidentally within that george hill trade and somebody else who was hard to rank in all of this and reggie jackson both of them have been under underwhelming but still competent i think is probably the best way that i would put it and i have trouble squaring that with players who haven't had that opportunity yet dinwiddie has a little bit this year malcolm brogdon never really did he was somebody that i have around this level too alfred payton's hard to quantify like you have all these so so it's like okay is there a chance that fred van vliet is a better player than reggie jackson yes absolutely but until he's gotten more of a chance i feel uncomfortable putting him there which is probably just unfair to fred van vliet yeah i had fred as kind of this next tier which i thought of as just like you know i won't kill you as a starter but even that i mean point guards could be so divisive right like if you just look at guys like schroeder and alfred payton guy who have been on bad teams have put up some numbers have, have had the ball in their hands enough they seem like experienced point guards but yet they have always just like their teams have sucked when they've been out there and how much blame do they deserve that what would it look like if they went to another team i i just know that i've seen spencer dinwiddie for half a season play at a level that i think is beyond you know and shooter can put up some numbers but he's really you know he's not a great passer defensively he's awful ben falk has written about that uh just how bad he is as far as like a closeout guy for example and, and a, a great runner. example of the difference between defensive capability and being a good defender oh, yeah. because when he came into the league i mean he moves well for his size he as i recall he has a pretty good wingspan and he played with intensity then you know when he when he's a like hoop summit age and it just never materialized as a defensive player and it wasn't you know like john wall where it you know got worse as he aged or something like that then shooter's 24 like he could very well be a much better defender than he has been so far which is immensely frustrating yeah and then jackson he, he's hurt again you know i thought he was kind of a guy who would have ranked in the high 20 or, or, or the low 20s you know 21 22 23 ish range before he got hurt again this year but he was hurt last year now and so this looks like a pretty severe ankle injury so how does that does that factor in it doesn't look like he's gonna really he may not even play again this year he was only playing 27 minutes a game as well uh, before that uh you know he's a guy who has some weaknesses and it's just the difference between all right reggie jackson dennis schroeder tony parker to some degree at this point do you want to value kind of shitty creation or do you want to value just being more steady like a patrick beverly although obviously he has the injury concerns van vliet malcolm brogdon george hill although george hill if we'd done this last year would have been you know 10 slots higher he probably would have been you know just below like eric bledsoe the way he played last year uh but you know with his injury concerns it just hasn't been playing as well uh this year uh really way down in, in the the on-off metric patty mills is a guy who's a real good shooter and, and will compete defensively but is kind of undersized and doesn't really create for others Corey joseph i have one in yeah. this tier that you haven't mentioned Ooh. lonzo ball this is where yeah. i have him right now I, you know i had him slightly below in this next year um just because of the weakness offensively still um i'm i'm not quite there with the shooting i know he's up to the low 30s now and, and teams are at least guarding him which is big but uh, he's just such a, a weird player i know he's been better than expected defensively i don't know if he's a great one-on-one guy yet but he, he's been useful in their switching system better than expected uh certainly deserves credit compared to his rookie point guard brethren for how much he's actually impacted winning this year so i, I had him just below in this tier just uh, just as a, a rookie point guard and with those major weaknesses that you see 
still I'm just don't have quite as good of a handle on him but I would understand ranking him up in this level and then also the the health as well has been uh hasn't been amazing so far at this point in his career but he, he I had him at the top of the next group of guys were you as surprised as I was that Alfred Payton is a 13th among point guards and remember that includes James Harden and Ben Simmons on ESPN so they don't count in PER I did not I did not see that coming yeah he's actually been I also don't necessarily believe it yeah I mean he's been league average efficient and he's always been a guy who gets a fair number of assists he gets a, a fair number of rebounds uh but I mean he sure as hell hasn't been helping Phoenix since he got there uh in Orlando they got killed whenever he played uh, and uh, he's another guy just his shooting limitations the fittest art he's another one of those guys that's like all right do you want shitty creation or do you want just kind of a steady guy but who's probably gonna have to play next to a, another ball dominant guy and so I think if you're really trying to build a good team a Schroeder or a Peyton you know those guys aren't good enough to really be the lead dog on a good offense and so you're gonna have to have someone else who is the lead dog and then those guys don't really fit with the lead dog once they're playing with them and so if you want to actually have a good team like yeah you know Dennis Schroeder he, he probably got the Hawks from you know 19 wins to 25 wins this year uh versus if they just had nobody else but you know how much do I really value that uh, as opposed to guys who can really contribute uh, on playoff level of teams uh, as starter it should be noted though that I firmly believe if those guys went into backup roles that they would just kill against inferior talent there and if they could they could control it a little bit more generally weaker rim protection in those circumstances as well I think they could do well so that's why in those circumstances I was more okay having them kind of I I put it above the the next group for me is called fringier yeah where it's guys that you could make an argument are a starter but it's just less likely or it's unproven and that's where I have Van Vliet right now Van Vliet based on how he has played this year would be higher than that to be absolutely sure but just like with Dinwiddie I'm judicious about that I just want to give him a little bit more time is that a kind of about where your line is drawn or is there somebody else that we haven't talked about yet Uh, I had Taya Dosich was in this category for me I mean to to give this next year so I had Beverly Darren Collison Reggie Jackson Van Vliet Schroeder Malcolm Brogdon George Hill Tony Parker Patty Mills Taya Dosich I didn't have Parker or Mills in mine yeah I mean Mills is he's just a different kind of player he's probably you know among the best shooters of any of these players right so if you have him in a different role and I'm sure part of why he's headed down here this year has been you know they just haven't had enough other guys to create those shots for him but you know as a guy who moves off the ball and can hit shots he's among the best of this whole group so you know it just depends really on what the fit is but if it's a guy who really you know he at least is not going to take anything off the table for others and I think he competes defensively so so I I think I have those guys a little bit more respected and you know Tony Parker I mean is he really like he doesn't play as many minutes anymore but you know I probably might still rather have him running my offense than uh Dennis Schroeder I'd still have Schroeder there but it's it you it is close so that runs into my next tier so you'll hear a couple names that were in your last one Van Vliet Alfred Payton Jeremy Lin Chris Dunn Terry Rozier Sadoransky who I've really enjoyed and I think can I, I've loved I, I've liked the way that he's fit in there yeah. Seth Curry lost season for him but I still believe in his potential Tadosich Tyus Jones Ish Smith TJ McConnell DeLon Wright DeJounte Murray and Corey Joseph yeah you know I wanted to like Murray I think he's been a force defensively but you know he's got 48% true shooting uh so th- that's not great uh you know I have you said the name Tyus Jones yet yes Tyus Jones is in that group for me yeah and, and so there are a lot of guys who you just wonder like a Tyus Jones you know he doesn't fit the profile of what you normally expect in a point guard he, he more fits the profile of a backup point guard Fred Van Vliet same way even though he's played at, at a really nice level this year this a little he's a little undersized 
even though he competes really hard defensively you know he's not really going to get to the rim and score that well but he can he can hit some shots he's just not what you think of as a conventional starter whereas guys like Schroeder and Jackson are more what you think of as a conventional starter they're just not as good at it uh, as as a lot of guys and so would you rather have an awesome backup uh, or a crappy starter you know it's it's really tough to say uh you know D- Dylan Wright is, is kind of he's a little bit above that tier for me but like you know he's a, a lot of guys who uh you know you really wonder what it would look like if they got a, a starting role but it's just it's all a question of whether you're valuing creation or you're valuing just being steady in, in more areas at this point and the surrounding talent is of course important there also broadly speaking this is less pronounced than it is for the centers just because backup point guard is a more important position you can't slide guys there yeah. as much but i would not pay many of these guys unless you believe that they can become better so the young guys in this group like i have Dejounte murray here sure Dejounte murray tyus jones they can get better but like taya dosich you pay them backup money you don't pay them anything above that because there are so many guys here and unlike certain other positions you can find them either as sometimes as free agents or through the g league things like that as opposed to wings where you kind of have to roll the dice sometimes you need to draft them a little bit higher just because you can't get them any other way yeah and so i think we can talk now about some of the players who might be a little bit more controversially you have not said the name uh, rajon rondo yet correct i have not and and, and i probably do? will not does that have anything to do with him being 76th in rpm among point guards this year not particularly i think it has more to do with his limitations especially defensively yeah. which is not which is all in there it's, he's just a sieve on that end of the floor 90 percent of the time and he doesn't do enough positive to make up for that negative and he can he's a wonderful passer one of the best entry passers in the entire league and in certain circumstances i think he can be a productive player i have him in that kind of extra group or it's like i call it solid backups i have him in that group because i think he could really in the right circumstance help especially if he had a young big guy who wasn't necessarily great at establishing position like what jaleel okafor would say yeah. beyond the fact that their defense would be the worst thing in the world that he could get the ball to that guy and, and they could get in circumstances to succeed and develop but outside of that if it's a high leverage situation much less having him as a starter it's not going to work i i had rondo below even most of the guys that i thought of as solid backups you know like an ish smith tj mcconnell shabazz napier uh just because you know he doesn't play hard really most of the time he requires the ball he, he's actually been more efficient efficient this year than normal but still you know not a guy who gets guarded a lot not a high volume guy from three and is someone who if you sign him it's like you feel obligated to play the guy and you know i, I would rather not have to deal with that uh and i think just you know he's 76 in rpm this year among point guards 42nd last year actually was 22nd that sacramento year and then the year before that that he finished in dallas he was 46th out of, out of 57 who were ranked so it's really it's not very good um and you just there's no evidence that overall you know he had two good playoff games with chicago last year but there's no evidence that overall he's able to play at the type of level that's going to to help a team and he just takes so much off the table i'd rather just have a guy who's just kind of like all right take care of the ball hit some open shots don't screw up than a rondo uh but speaking of which we should also hit on some of these other rookies i mean dennis smith jr De'Aaron fox both of them way down the list in rpm both guys whose potential we like i like smith more than fox uh but both the smith has one of the highest usage rates uh, among point guards he's in the high 20s there and, and he's shooting you know like 47 percent true shooting and so you're just and then his defense is sucked so when you're taking that many shots at that low of an efficiency uh, and he takes a lot of bad jumpers and you know he, he can distribute on the times when he plays well he can look really good but just on a night-to-night basis it's going to get much better for him but i mean he's actively 
he's been actively hurting his team all season. Both of those guys, to me, have been negatives this year, but that's what you expect from a player as young as they are thrust into the responsibilities they have on a team that isn't very good. So I am not concerned by them being where they are in all of this, but it is fair to acknowledge it. And another guy who is kind of in this group, though he's a little bit better than that, and I'm sure some people will be pissed off that we haven't mentioned him, is D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is a talented player who can be a good passer, but the shooting really hasn't come around for me. His defense is still abysmal, and he isn't a superlative passer. Incidentally, Lonzo Ball, who effectively replaced him. superlative passes, but he's not a superlative passer. It just doesn't happen often enough, perhaps because just he doesn't have enough juice himself to really draw the defense and create the opening. Now, if Russell, there's a parallel argument here to what I said about Dennis Schroeder before, that if he was put in a full backup role and said, hey, play as hard as you can for 20 minutes a game and play against backups, I think he would do well. And that might be where he ends up if he doesn't improve a lot. Yeah, I don't know. This I mean, is even, his age 20. Even when Schroeder was a backup, though, in Atlanta, I mean, granted, he's better now than he was then in theory, but, you know, the uh, the numbers were really bad for him in terms of the on-off metrics when he was a backup, too. Yeah, he was behind Jeff Teague then, and those teams had some really strong starters. I mean, we yeah. had Millsap and Millsap and Horford together and Corver for a lot of that time. I'm not as concerned about that element. And D'Angelo Russell, this is his age 21 season, so he can certainly get a whole lot better, and he's been dealing with health stuff so much. But I would say right now, he's on the fringe of being a positive player. And if that's where you are, then you're not in those first couple, those first batch of tiers for me. You could get there. He could absolutely earn that spot. But I have him as the third best, most valuable point guard on his own team if we're treating Jeremy Lin as being healthy at some point. Yeah, and Russell, I kind of had, you know, in that same same tier as, as Lonzo, uh, which is ironic because they both have totally different games. And you can certainly argue that Lonzo has a greater impact on winning this year. I mean, I think Russell, as he continues to get healthy, can can play a little better. That's part of still just a, another year of growth for a young player going forward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's he's you could make the argument that he should be way down there in like the Dennis Smith, De'Aaron Fox type carry category. That's where he is for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's slightly he's slightly above those guys, but not yeah. but in the same group. And somebody else we haven't mentioned just while we're getting Lakers fans and and talking about their former players, Jordan Clarkson. I have him in this solid backup group as well. Yeah. I just don't believe in his offensive creation or his defense at a high level. I think in this you'd be very happy if you had him as a you know 20 minute a game backup sure by all means but when you start pushing him up beyond here i think his deficiencies come into play yeah. and especially that great taking, game he played he's taking opportunities out of the hands of more efficient players if you really start playing him more if right he's on a good team and sure he'll look good next to lebron james because that's putting him putting him in a situation where he's more likely to succeed than what you typically have a backup point guard doing which is running the show yeah and clarkson i mean you could also make an argument that he should be should have been in the shooting guard pod as well i was surprised actually we didn't put him but uh yeah we also might have and i just didn't see him on there when i did the control f but i i did i did that so uh well yeah and then frank nilakina maybe should be discussed too uh 432 true shooting percentage uh and 6.8 pr i've liked his defense i've liked his passing to some degree this year but just i mean it's hard to argue that he's been that effective uh because he cannot even come close to scoring efficiently i mean if you want to talk and if you want to talk about where fox and smith are i mean nilakina is a whole order of magnitude below those guys although he's probably been the best of these rookie point guards i'd say defensively he and lonzo there are a bunch of different guys in that solid backup group but i don't really feel the need to run through the whole group do you i think feel like it's more broad takeaways and stuff like that no i think uh we should transition to a read before we do news here when i was younger i had a predilection for some old sports cars i had a 1988 mazda uh 
RX-7. I had a 1991 Nissan 300ZX Turbo. And I would have loved it back then, because, you know, old sports cars need to get repaired a lot, uh, to know about yourmechanic.com. Probably would have needed a time machine as well, because it didn't exist back in the uh, late 1990s. But if I had a car that, especially when it was older, that needed some work on regularly, yourmechanic.com would be the way to go. They come right to your home or office. I mean, that's one of the worst things about the repair shop, right? Is you go there and then you got to like, we're back or you got to have someone pick you up. And, and really by the time you go there and talk to them and come back, that's probably like an hour in the morning. And then you got to go an hour out of your way to go back, wait in line while everyone else is picking your car up at, at the end of work. Your mechanic takes that waiting out of the picture because they come to your driveway, to your office, if you have a place to, to do it there. And they give you a quote up front that is the actual price you're going to pay. They'll even show you what it could cost to get the same repair elsewhere. And since they might be coming to your house, they give full background checks to all of their mechanics who have on average 10 years of experience. So if your car won't start, if it's something that's that urgent or you have a check engine light bugging you, you need a brake job, you can call today to schedule an appointment or visit yourmechanic.com slash capspace and have a mechanic come to your home or office. You can even get $20 off your first service, which actually could be pretty significant if you're getting like an oil change or something. Two ways to get started with them, yourmechanic.com slash capspace is the URL to let them know that you came from us. Or if you prefer to call 800-701-6230, that's 800-701-6230 or yourmechanic.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. So nice long one here. Got to get to some news as well after those point guard rankings. Where would you like to start, Mr. LaRue? Even though I have my policy, I think we have to start with Kawhi because he actually talked to the media. So we got more specifics on his situation. He said two things of importance. One is he said he's come, he intends to play the season. The quote is soon. I don't have a set date yet. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing. The progression I've been making, I am making is great. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing. So that is significant because the Spurs are going to need him back. But the other part was that in, in that same conversation with the media, he expressed a desire to finish his career as a Spur, which is the first clear indication that I can recall seeing that he is, you know, intends to sign with them, whether that's in the form of an extension, which he's already eligible for the designated veteran or through something even as a as an unrestricted free yeah, agent. And to be clear, when you say he's already eligible, he's met the criteria to be eligible once uh, July 1st rolls around. Right? Once the year yeah. turns over. Um, yeah. So the, they would, just to be clear, it's not like they could give him that extension at this very moment. Uh, yeah, not much else to say here. I, I hope we see him back. The Spurs desperately need him. I mean, it's really going to affect the playoff race. I mean, they're in trouble right now uh, with the way they've been playing. Pau Gasol is out with a, a sprained AC joint, could miss significant time. And while he certainly has some limitations, I think he's been effective this year as a defender. And it's really more about, too, well, if he's not going to play, then it's uh, King Joffrey time. And it's just really difficult to be effective with your deep bench guys out there. Even if you are the Spurs, you're going to see somewhat of a, a drop off there. And on Kawhi, you know, this isn't definitive. People were quoting Kevin Durant saying he wanted to finish his career in OKC, but it at least is something to counteract the noise of my text message alerts going off. Uh, <laughs> to counteract the noise that's been out there that he does want out. I mean, if he does want out, there's no reason to make it clear that he does. You might as well deny it. So it doesn't mean a ton, but at least it's something uh, to have him speak to the media. In Minnesota, former MVP Derek Rose has signed it with the Wolves. He said that the delay uh, was that he was waiting for his kid to be born. This is a little odd because Glenn Taylor had got on the radio and said that, no, actually, we weren't going to be signing him. There are tons of conflicting reports. I don't know whether 
Taylor didn't want him or whether Taylor just meant oh we're not going to sign him right now we will later or whatever Glenn Taylor really just runs his mouth on local media way too much I don't know why he does it uh but it, it, that's just weird that the owner would say that and then you end up signing the guy but actually I think I, I prefer uh if in fact Taylor didn't want him I prefer uh Glenn Taylor's basketball expertise to Tibbs in this case in the initial press conference Tibbs said that he is open to playing multiple point guards together with their oh, team oh he is that that's and a change. The fundamental problem <laughs> the fundamental problem with that is Derrick Rose isn't better than their options at the two so it's not like you are getting what the Mavericks are getting let's say where you're you're playing two point guards because you have more good point guards than you have other yeah. players especially with DFS yeah, being and out De- and, and Derrick is one of the worst point guards that you could play in a two guard alignment because he can't shoot at all or pass for that matter or play a lot of consistent defense so it, it, it's a real problem and Tyus Jones already was yeah he, I was worried that he wasn't necessarily getting enough minutes you know Teague has been solid overall this year but you have those two guys you have the balance that worked I think to Jones's defense fit well especially when they had Jimmy out there and just adding somebody who's worse than them who has equity with the coach which in some ways is is more dangerous yeah, he than didn't has sign with there. the organization he didn't depending on the circumstance play. like that's not how this works right right so that probably makes them worse and doing that when every game matters this west is absolutely stacked and they're playing without jimmy butler for the time being who is has been their best player this year i had him i think was fourth in mvp or whatever it was the margins are real tight and this doesn't help and so it is definitely concerning for me that they're that they're going in this direction especially because they have so many games against good teams and we will see on i can't remember if it's thursday or friday night how quickly they're going to get into it but it could take a week or two until we really see what the intended spot for rose in the rotation yeah, and is. with every game critical here can they really afford even if you want to say okay once he gets up to speed it'll be good i mean i think it, no matter who you're integrating that generally that player is going to take some time to get up to speed and at this late juncture of the season really want to do that and especially if the if he was so valuable the fact that they just like oh you know rose's commitment to basketball has been questioned and yeah i know he wanted to wait for his son to be born uh, but still you know that's a, a month that he could have been basically getting integrated with this team and the trade deadline was february 8th uh so it's been a, a month now uh, and this just has disaster written all over it uh also significant injury news here anthony davis suffering an ankle sprain after he had this ugly rib contusion where he was really like doubled over in pain uh in that clippers game that he was so awesome in then they play a back-to-back the next night sprains his ankle in the third quarter they win but he doesn't return and apparently the ankle swelled up significantly per uh jennifer hale twitter account with the pelicans and he's gonna have an mri today but it sounds like the type of thing where you know he's gonna miss significant time it's difficult to imagine it's not gonna be at least a week and potentially longer than that i mean we've had a lot of injury scares with davis uh but that's uh really too bad for a pels team that had just been on fire lately maybe they've banked enough now i think they're either third or fourth in the west maybe they've banked enough now to where missing him for a little while isn't going to kill them but they actually you know we're playing nikola miritich at center i mean they're going to really struggle you would think without ad this is also a very dangerous stretch for them because right now that they have home games against capable teams washington utah and we'll see with charlotte coming up but then right after that at san antonio hosting houston hosting boston so those are games where they're going to need anthony davis and need anthony davis playing well to have a good shot they can win some of them of course and drew holiday's having a nice season all of that but davis is so essential for what they're doing so i just talked about how the margins are tight with minnesota this is a whole different ball game because davis is a far better player than derrick rose and far more important to his team's success than derrick rose turning to the clippers i actually reported something yesterday that uh per 
for a source the reason the clippers aren't signing tyrone wallace right now uh, who's out of eligibility he's used up the 45 days on his two-way is because there's a dispute over what nba contract he's going to sign they do have the right to unilaterally convert him to an nba minimum contract that lasts as long as his two-way contract lasts which was uh till the end of of this season uh but they don't want to do that because then he would become a free agent what they want is for him to sign a longer term more team-friendly deal something along the lines perhaps uh, i don't know the exact details what the offers have been but you would imagine something along the lines of the the old hinky special with the the four years team option uh, at the end of it some guarantees early but some significant non-guarantees at the end and so he's not willing to sign that he wants to try to put the pressure on the team especially if they're losing and they played a game without him that they lost against the pels maybe he could have actually helped win that game for them if he plays you know he's been playing well they lost that game by two points uh so we'll see whether the pressure mounts on the clippers to sign a contract that wallace is more willing to sign or or just to automatically convert him and then he i mean he's still just going to reach restricted free agency they'll have the right to match uh, this offseason uh so this is the first one of these where a two-way guy has played well enough to clearly be an nba player and now we're seeing this standoff and it's worth noting that other nba players who are converted nobody i think was unilaterally converted they actually agreed on an nba contract with guys like mike james who ended up subsequently being waived tyler kavanaugh it's a little different now because whatever he signs is going to be guaranteed for the rest of the season where someone like mike james he actually got waived before then uh before he ended up guaranteeing he said he converted to a non-guaranteed deal uh but this is just going to be really interesting and it's going to set a lot of precedents here uh, for what happens in this situation where they want to convert a, a two-way guy uh but it does seem like a kind of unintended consequence here for the two-way guy to where you know the, i'm sure the thought was oh they'll just convert the guy when they want him but to have this stalemate to me after a guy has played really well is it, it, it's kind of too bad it's also even stranger because the clippers have the playoff incentive and they're really really close to the luxury tax yeah. lot they, i think yeah, they're it's, more it's about not about the, the tax more. they have enough room under the tax yeah. this year i mean and i think i don't know how much of their mid-level exception they have left they might actually be able to offer him slightly more than the minimum for the rest of the season but not much so so it's probably it's almost certainly going to be a rest of season contract but they do have room to give him a rest of season contract without going into the tax now and instead they signed sean kilpatrick uh, to attend day the other thing that's totally interesting uh, about this which uh, again this is more about incentives i don't know whether this will actually happen is the way it works is you only get 45 days to be up in the nba during the g league season and but it's your team g league season right so the agua caliente clippers uh i think are are looking like they're going to be outside of playoff position right now but if they made the playoffs which start i think march 27th in the g league once you're outside of your your team's g league season those two-way guys can come back up and play he's he would be ineligible for the playoffs but he could actually play for the big team for the rest of the regular season uh and then perhaps sign a a deal on the last day of the regular season even up until then he, he could sign and be eligible for the playoffs we can call that the dante jones but there's an incentive almost for to make the g league season be over faster so you can get this guy back with the team because then his 45 days don't apply anymore it's it, kind of ridiculous there as well it is and that's always the challenge with a, a a new idea especially one as big as the two-way is just the way the ways that it's going to be implemented i mean you saw that in a even though that was clear with some of the extension stuff and the prior cba was like oh we're trying to prevent this and then it has all these other all these other effects and sometimes you're going to plan for it sometimes you're not but there are actually a couple other pieces of clippers news um one of them i think you know better than i do which is the issue 
of the city of Inglewood being sued by the by Forum, which is owned by James Dolan, which is even more complicated because James Dolan owns yeah, the Knicks. MSG owns uh, the Forum, and the Forum spent about $100 million, as I recall, to renovate and become this concert venue. And then they had this lease agreement with the city of Inglewood. This is the allegations in their complaint. These have not been proven true, but Ramona Shelburne had this story. They had this lease agreement with the city of Inglewood uh, for a parking lot that's right next to there that they were leasing and the city of Inglewood said and, and also they claim that there's something in the contract where you know they can't build another support another arena but supposedly the city of Inglewood demanded uh, whoever it was who was involved was like oh hey here use my personal cell phone so it's not like subject to government records and then he said well you know we might have a, a, another tenant coming in or, or something so don't exercise your right to buy this land that you're leasing right now and so they didn't and then it turns out that that's the land that the clippers were hoping to build this new arena on that's now going through the environmental review the the request to fast track that was denied i I won't bore you guys with uh how impossibly difficult and stupid it is to try and build something in california uh but anyway so this could potentially imperil that new clippers arena anymore and uh their lease at staple center expires in 2024 maybe you could say that if the arena gets done faster they could negotiate an exit there but uh steve balmer's dream of getting his own arena seems to be uh running into a few snags and then uh another snag this is the danilo galnari memorial injury slot of the podcast uh he actually has a non-displaced fracture in his hand rather than a bruised hand and it'll be at least probably another 10 days or so uh, until they're thinking about him being reevaluated and returning and finally the yeah sorry the other (laughs) were you gonna you saw that other clippers thing too well yeah i already i already knew about yeah so the clippers also are i think they became the 20th team to agree to a jersey sponsorship deal with the app bumble and the number i've heard is 20 million i do not know how many years that 20 million is for my guess would be it's for so it's i mean for three years because i think that the initial understanding was that this is a trial program for three years uh so that is uh that, that would be my guess and that would probably be in line with what you would expect them to get uh you know since uh, the top teams have kind of been maybe in like you know the 15 million dollar range per season and then you know down to maybe like four million for the worst teams the clippers actually just aren't aren't that popular so that's probably about what you would expect and and also maybe the fact that they've waited this long uh is they're hoping to get more and they haven't and they're like well we better just do this anyway the mavericks also announced a deal with five miles which is an app as well and that is a three-year contract but i don't think we know the dollar amount that i think first person i saw with that well the mavericks announced it themselves i saw tim mcmahon tweet it but it's from the maps themselves yeah and it looks like then we might see a little bit of a cap increase now that these deals are done uh, albert namad who follows these things more closely than anyone i know in the public sphere posited that his belief that the reason the cap projection went down from 102 to 101 for next season was fewer than expected jersey ads coming through so maybe now that some of them some more of them are going to happen i think there's still nine out there that remain um that maybe that could cause the cap to go up a, a little bit he said he doesn't expect it to go down uh, at all and then uh the bulls the team that does not have a jersey sponsor yet we've made fun of them for their resting uh, of healthy starters they have in fact finally run afoul of the nba's uh, resting rules uh cordial discussions supposedly with the the league and so when they're on the road you're not supposed to rest guys and then you're only allowed to rest one healthy starter at home so they rested robin lopez and played drew holiday and drew or i'm sorry uh, justin holiday and justin holiday actually played pretty well <laughs> and that was maybe part of why they won 
last night against Memphis. So this is all just totally ridiculous. Uh, the league is clearly more concerned with people writing about and the perception of tanking than actually curbing it. And, and I understand that because I think I we've said this before. I think tanking is a necessary evil. I think that the need to make bad teams have hope, or even just even if you have shitty draft picks, at least having draft picks on the roster who have the hope of being good for two or three years until they inevitably wash out Sacramento uh, is enough to keep the fans going during that period uh so I, I still think that you know something along the lines of the lottery system the draft that has some relationship to how bad your team is uh, is necessary and you know tanking is something that you're never going to entirely curb but it's better than just having teams that are just stuck in purgatory for years and years and years they could have a bigger conversation if they wanted to but it appears that they do not you know they they muted the incentives a little bit but they didn't functionally change them because it's more important to have the prospect of bad teams getting better than it is to have the fairness and avoid the tanking in in their eyes and broadly speaking i agree with that my proposals are out there i have the sporting news one about abolishing the draft the one element that the nba needs to do a much better job of with this is in terms of scheduling the goal that i would have if if they could input this is like a constraint and there are a whole bunch of other factors including arena availability travel schedules all that kind of stuff is the goal would be for a team to not play any single opponent for me more than once after the all-star break march 1st if you had to do it that way and if you have to play them twice make it as far apart because there are a bunch of these like the pacers play the hornets twice in the final week of the season that is functionally very very different oh, than the playing hornets them almost any other time of the year and all sorts of these things during that period i know exactly so they get a huge competitive advantage and there are, there are a series of these the Cavs and nuggets played twice this week they only play twice all year so just make it a goal to spread those games out yeah it might lead to more travel at certain points but the competitive balance is exceedingly important and it leads to these advantages and disadvantages i'm not quite as concerned about that as you but i i agree it's something that maybe they should consider more but uh, those poor schedule makers i mean people those are the people who just like everyone complains about them right like no one has ever like oh you did a great job with the schedule it's like they, they got a lot of shit that they have to to balance and adding one more thing in you know it, it would remain to be seen how much that would impact travel you get the feeling that the nba likes to avoid teams having to go on big long road trips in the last you know two weeks or so of the season in cleveland the Cavs, who are going to owe at least 50.4 million dollars in luxury taxes this season what they are doing is dropping to 13 players for up to two weeks at a time then waiting exactly two weeks to sign someone to a 10 day they did that with marcus thornton now that that's over they have another two the last team that really did that was uh i think the 13 14 bulls once they got andrew bonham were able to wave him and, and actually were able to duck below the tax uh, that year by just like keeping guys on the roster for the shortest possible uh, amount of time uh was that the eric murphy getting claimed by the uh, Jazz one yes although i i think they would have uh, eluded the tax anyway uh but yeah that was that was a big for murphy actually at least played some summer league for them uh and then also with the Cavs, kevin love uh after he had a, a nice piece in the players tribune talking about his anxiety a panic attack that he had in atlanta subsequent reporting from joe varden uh indicated that he left the arena in what was initially termed an illness uh, against okc that game where they got blown out so badly uh that that was also perhaps due, due to a panic attack and uh, certainly something that's difficult uh, to manage you know he, it's good to know that he's been seeing therapists that he was set up with uh, by the team but th that's something that really you know and there have been some great pieces on it demar Derozan had, had a piece in the toronto star after after some tweets uh, about or he didn't write it but uh had an interview in the toronto star 
Omar uh, about some tweets uh, talking about his depression Kelly Oubre uh, recently as well and so I, I applaud all these players for being willing to admit their issues help others who, who are in the same place and my hope is that there won't be you know any blowback on them in terms of their careers or, or like oh we can't trust this guy is having panic attacks type of stuff um but it, it seems like the uh reaction has been overwhelmingly positive so far it's great that they're doing this because athletes are so visible outside of the sports world and they can affect, make people more comfortable with their own situations and aware raise awareness and everything like that but also i think this could have some real significance inside the nba itself support for mental health and mental services is is important and it has been a part of it i mean i go back to the royce white issues back in the day where that was back in the day it wasn't that long ago uh, and, and there is a huge incentive now for teams to make sure that they're protecting and valuing and everything the, the players that they have but the more we talk about this the more that it, it is out there maybe they'll devote more resources and we can have more open conversations and lead to better outcomes for everybody. i will finish up here with the, some more injury news darren collison whom we discussed before well beyond that initial two to three week timetable listening to the pacers broadcast yesterday against the jazz does not sound like he's particularly close they're speaking in terms of well you know once you you turn the corner it can happen quickly but that means clearly you know he's not practicing it doesn't sound like he's doing you know full speed type of drills that he's still experiencing uh some significant soreness there so I, i'm not sure when we're going to see him uh jordan bell who had a, an awesome run after coming back from that weird eversion ankle sprain that he suffered against the bulls coming down from a shot block then sprained his right ankle a more traditional inversion sprain coming down from a shot block against the nets on tuesday um so but he says this one is not as significant and you know hopefully he'll be back within a, a week or two that kind of sounds like the timetable there uh what else we got here evan fournier uh sprained his left knee and had to leave the game against the lakers that will presumably keep him out for a little while orlando their incentives are very clear but it's still you know it's still important yeah. and they'd actually been playing better fournier healthy lately uh but but oh yeah, yeah they really need him because it's a, a flow and windu are going to play more when he's out i mean when i say need is assuming they're actually trying to win games uh but so they may take a step back now uh if he's going to miss time it will it will be fun to see a couple more games with jonathan jonathan simmons yeah. having the ball more he he has had that overall this year compared to well in the spurs but they'll have to rely on him especially now with with alfred payton being in phoenix this i think he could get a get a lot of opportunities and and i want to see that so i i'm a little bit you know it's a silver lining to be sure but doing that willie Colley stein has missed three straight games with a back issue he's still not practicing the kings have a ton of centers but collie stein is certainly high on the list of the ones that are most relevant for their future mo harkless has missed three straight uh, with a knee strain uh but the blazers continue rolling right along after a victory against the knicks at home earlier this week uh, no understanding of exactly when harkless can be back but sounds like a, a relatively minor injury and then uh, the raps uh, have some injuries among their young guys uh, og Ananubi did not play against detroit in that classic game which is going to be potentially right up there for our games of the month next month in our awards uh but no timetable really for him on the ankle but he didn't travel with the team so it doesn't seem like he is a, he could miss some time and then uh dalen wright aggravated a, a toe injury in that detroit game uh they took him out looks like he's gonna be shut down for a little bit so those are guys are, are pretty key to that energy and effort but hopefully they can get them right by the playoffs and the reps are blessed with uh, enough depth that i don't expect this to significantly affect them over the next couple of weeks or so and they also essentially have a five game lead in the projections at least right now on boston last piece of news joe johnson missed the wednesday game that the rockets won against the bucks in milwaukee due to an illness ryan anderson is 
doubtful for Friday. And Brandon Wright's still going to be out a little while longer. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Try to give you guys a nice long one to take us into the weekend. We'll be back with the 15 and 60 on Sunday night to the Eastern Conference. Lots of interesting topics to hit on then. Talk to you all next week. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring today's program. I've been loving my Sonos, especially the fact that I was able to get them set up for free. And you can too if you live in any major metropolitan area. Just order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout. And you have much more reliable, much more controllable, much better quality sound than if you're just going with the old Bluetooth speaker in whatever room you want to listen to a podcast or music in from your phone. You can get 10% off uh, one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com when you use that promo code CAPSPACE10. A little bit different than the usual CAPSPACE10, CAPSPACE10 at Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. That's CAPSPACE10 at Sonos.com. Let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.